Spork Show. I'm Maeve, and for the second time, I'm without Bryn this week. I miss you, Bryn. But don't fear, because I have so many great women joining me this episode to talk hockey. The four original teams making up the National Women's Hockey League are heading into their ninth week of play. It's the first pro women's league in the U.S., and also the first to pay its players. First up, I'm joined by Haley Moore, the general manager of the Boston Pride, for an inside look at running the day-to-day operations of a pro team, from drafting players to building the game and even making runs to the grocery store. Then, we're live from the November 22nd Boston Pride versus New York Riveters game. I interview Zoe Hayden, Sarah Connors, Aaron Bartuska, Kat Hemming, and Kate Samini, all reporters determined to cover the league as a serious sport and not a charity case. Finally, we'll hear from some of the players themselves on how they're building a fan base and what it's like to play the game they love. Okay, let's get started. Welcome to Not Your Boyfriend's Sports Show, Haley Moore. I am so excited to talk to you and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So just to fill the listeners in, Haley is a former star player for Brown University. She played professionally in Switzerland and also played in Canada. She's had various coaching gigs around Boston, including most recently at Harvard. And she's currently with the East Coast Wizards program as the director of girls hockey. And last but certainly not least, she is the inaugural general manager of the Boston Pride. Um, So as many of our listeners know, the Boston Pride is one of four teams in the brand new National Women's Hockey League. It's the first pro women's league in the U.S., and it's actually paying its players. So let's just start with the basics. This is a really unique moment at the very beginning of a brand new league. So can you give the listeners some background on how the NWHL came to be and what the process has been like establishing a brand new league? Absolutely. Um... Well, as you told the listeners, I guess I've traveled around quite a bit in my playing experience, so that probably gives you a little bit of insight as to uh, why there was a need for our league. Uh, There really aren't too many sustainable uh, options for women to play competitively after college, Uh, and that was something that was uh, definitely not uh, very prevalent when I graduated back in 2008. Uh, I went to Switzerland, and and those are the only leagues that were paying their players were in Europe. So uh, eventually, you, you have to make the decision to you know, start your life, <laughs> and, uh, and and you know and make a career. And and unfortunately for too many women, that means that they they end their playing careers way too soon, and yeah. before they've even hit their peak. So that's that's really the reason why our league came about is just to really give women the opportunity to continue playing uh, as they're still growing as players and as athletes. Just the the real need for um, for a league that is professional and and treats their athletes as professionals. That's the reason why we came about and uh, and the reason why we're here right now. And so who were some of the major people behind the formation of the league and what's their background? Well, Danny Ryland is the commissioner of the league and and she's really the one that uh, has contributed to building this thing from from scratch. And uh, and her and I have known each other for a long time, which is one of the reasons why I became involved with the league. Um, She has a great background. She grew up in in Tampa and started playing hockey uh, the first year 
that uh, they had a, an NHL team there um, <laughs> and, you know, came up to the New England area for prep school and, and played up here, played at Northeastern. Um, and, and so I knew her when she was playing at Northeastern uh, probably about 10 years now. Yeah. She, she has done a phenomenal job at just uh, getting all of the necessary information and doing the research and then and then putting everything into action. You know, I think if you have a conversation with her, it, you you just want to you gravitate towards our league and and you realize how passionate she is and and also how business savvy she is and how smart and uh, dedicated to this. And she's not somebody who just talks about it. She she actually just works so hard because she believes in this and believes in the opportunities that we're able to provide to these women. Well, I love that it's a brand new women's league with a woman at the helm. I think that that's such exactly. a great model and such a great message um, and, and definitely inspiring for everybody who's coming up below her. So Yeah, I think that's really important because uh, she knows where these women are coming from and it's not just an, an idea that uh, – isn't something that she's experienced, you know, and, and a lot of people involved in the league uh, have gone through the process and understand uh, the landscape that we're working with. Yeah. The next thing I want to talk about at the beginning of the league, you're also establishing a business model for some other women's leagues, the WNBA and the NWSL, the women's soccer league. Um, those, for example, have had various degrees of partnership with their uh, men's leagues, at least initially. So is there a relationship with the NHL? Um, and if or if not, what's the league's main business model at this point? We're privately funded through the first season. So uh, that's our business model is centered around that and in driving sponsorship for year two. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, Partnerships with the NHL and NHL teams are, are not something that we would shy away from. Um, there, there's definitely been a good amount of support for the women's game that has come from the NHL. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they've been pretty public about uh, their support of our game, which is great and, and something that we obviously are very excited about. But as far as the model goes, we're definitely focusing on year one and making our product so great that those sponsors and partners are going to have actual numbers and concrete evidence of what we have to provide and how our viewers are receiving our product on the ice. Yeah. And um, and that's something that's going to really help drive the sustainability of the league. Uh, in just a month of play, or a little over a month of play, um, we've seen so much positive uh, support and yeah. uh, and have a, and have a lot in the pipeline that uh, I think our fans will be really excited about. Definitely. And something to be excited mm-hmm. about is that just this week, a uh, broadcasting deal with Nessun, the New England Sports Network, was announced for, I believe, eight yes. games. So that's yes. really exciting. And speaking of sponsors and um, getting uh, audiences watching your games. So who do you <laughs> view as kind of the core audience and, and who are you looking to grow into your fan base? I think that's a, the unique thing about our sport is that we have a really uh, wide range of fan base. Um, you know, one of my, my favorite part of our fan base are those youth players and we have a huge uh, youth program in, in the Massachusetts area alone yeah. so right outside our Boston team 
but also in just in the greater New England area in general. Um, large percentage of USA Hockey registrations for, for girls come in uh, the New England area. So that's, to me, the our biggest outreach, but also our most exciting one, because when you see these youth hockey players come to our games and and see our professional players on the ice that's something that they can actually dream to be now Um, and that's not something that I had growing up so our events really just are something that you can bring your whole family to uh, with our game times here in Boston being at three o'clock on Sundays uh, there's no really better time to to have something to do as a family um, yeah. I remember growing up, I played soccer, and so having the Boston Breakers in town, um, and it was, you know, WUSA back then, but just how critical that was in making me a lifelong women's soccer fan. So I think you're really hitting the nail on the head with, you know, getting youth players to be excited about it and that it's mm-hmm. approachable and um, a good place for families to, as you said, spend spend a Sunday afternoon. Um, next, I want to share a quote that you gave to womentalksports.com. You said, my primary goal is to create the best environment and experiences for my players, from coaching to gear to team chemistry to filling the seats at games. This is what these women have always deserved, and my goal is to have it surpass their dreams of what they thought was possible for professional women's hockey. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I love that sentiment. It's such a great goal. And it's something that I would certainly want my GM to say. Um, So what specifically convinced you to take on the GM role? And um, tell us a little bit about what your duties are as a GM, especially on a team that has a bit of a smaller staff and a bit of a smaller payroll, maybe things you do that are less traditional. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, that statement right there is exactly why I... Uh, it was no question in my mind that I wanted to take on this role. Um, I really, really want to provide the best for our players. And obviously, we want a great environment for our fans, and we want this to be a- an incredible experience for everyone. But I personally and our league is in this for the players, especially, and uh, to really just provide them opportunities that they haven't had before. I have a lot of great personal relationships with the players that are still playing as you know, they, some of them are uh, girls that I grew up playing with and, um, and having come from the same background as them, I understand uh, the sacrifices that they make and, uh, and why they play the game. And that's why I'm still involved in the game. We all love it. And, and I believe that, you know, they deserve the best. So that's exactly why I'm here and why it makes it very easy every day to get up and work hard for them. Um, (laughs) So what does a typical day as GM look like for you? It is, that's a great question. It is anywhere from going to the grocery store and picking up food to go on the bus with them to scheduling ice time to managing contracts to watching a practice. Um, It, it's, uh, very non-traditional, I suppose, it being that, you know, we are small and this is a new role and a new league. Um, you know, we kind of all have hands on deck in, in every aspect of the league and uh, especially with the team here in Boston. Um, I'm not afraid to, to do whatever is needed of me here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it can be from, you know, big time meetings to, um, you know, 
making sure that the sticks are all straight on the bench at practice. You know, there's <laughs> the, the, it, it ranges uh, quite a bit. No task but it's too all big very or small. Fun. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know what it's very fun to be involved in every part of it because I think it'll in the long term make me better in my role, just understanding every part of uh, what our team is experiencing. Yeah, definitely. Um, so with only four teams in the league, what is the tactical approach to game prep? Because I'd imagine that there would be some major advantages and disadvantages to playing the same three teams in a kind of rotating order. Absolutely. Uh, I think you might actually find that the advantages and disadvantages are almost the same and that you know, when you play a team multiple times, uh, the advantages that you get to know their tendencies, you get to uh, understand their players better. Uh, but that can also be a disadvantage because you uh, you might overthink things a little bit in that sense and, mm -hmm. and try to predict what the team is going to do. Uh, and and assume that things are going to happen one way because they did previously. I think the tactical approach really is to just make sure that we prepare uh, with ourselves in mind. And you obviously want to be aware of your opponent and who you're facing, but to really just focus on ourselves and our game and uh, and play our way so that we want to we want to make our opponents uh, change their game for for ours. Well, definitely sounds like. A mental game as much as a physical one. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes. So going back a little bit, um, back to the draft, this was the first ever draft, kind of a unique situation when you're drafting the whole team and not just new members. So mm -hmm. can you tell listeners a little bit about the dynamic during that? And, you know, as a, as a team GM, you obviously want the best players for your team. But a successful league will have exciting matchups no matter who's playing, so you kind of want a good distribution of talent. So what was the dynamic during the draft, and, and how do you think that it turned out for all the teams? So being year one, things were a little bit unique this year. For our rosters, uh, for the current season, um, we, we brought everyone in through free agency, and we actually we held a draft over the summer for players who are currently seniors in college, uh, and they they were drafted in for the 2016-2017 season. Oh, wow. um, so as far as our free agency went for establishing our rosters for this season, um, it was definitely competitive. We had uh, a series of training camps, you know, one held in each city in May, um, and then we followed up with uh, an additional training camp uh, for international players, um, and that was in uh, late June. And then uh, from there, you know, we participated and had teams participating in a tournament, the Beantown Classic in July. So there was definitely a long series of events where our players were able to uh, come in and prove themselves. Things were very exciting right up until the free agency deadline, which was August 17th. And establishing these rosters was you know, kind of like a big puzzle at that point since you are starting from scratch. Um, but it was one of the funnest parts of the job for me. And I, I think the biggest thing in Boston that we tried to focus on was creating a lot of depth in our roster, but just making sure that we put things together and had uh, players that contribute different things. And 
and really just mesh well together. So that was something that I definitely focused on uh, personally with the Boston roster. And mm-hmm. um, and you obviously want the distribution of talent uh, throughout the league to make everything competitive, and we've definitely seen that. Um, but at the end of the day, too, you want the best players on your roster. So uh, <laughs> there, there, there's a balance that you need to maintain there, of course. But I think it, so far it's shown to work out pretty well for all of us. Yeah, well, I definitely have a lot of admiration for these women, um, not only because they're such great athletes and are putting out such a good effort, but, you know, in some ways they're kind of taking a risk and being involved in a new league. And Mm -hmm. while the league is paying its players, which is great, as I understand it, it's not necessarily a living wage. And so many Mm -hmm. of these women are supplementing their income by either working full time or being in grad school. Um, mm-hmm. so what's the approach to recruitment, uh, for new players when, uh, you know, it's definitely an exciting opportunity, but it is also a little bit of a risk and, um, still demand some sacrifices. Yeah. I think that's one of my favorite things about our players is that they are so excited by this opportunity and they've really embraced it because, we feel as though we've created an awesome environment for them to play and continue uh, in our support of them and their careers and trying to make our model sustainable with their their careers outside of ice hockey uh, is what has been able to help with recruitment and making sure that we manage schedules and and really make this something that will work for everyone and anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, We have various players with uh, very different jobs that, you know, have different schedules and entail different things. You know, we have anywhere from teachers to engineers to physicians, assistants to lawyers and uh, grad students. So uh, there's definitely a wide range. And that's something that I love about our model is that really anyone can can make it work with their schedule and uh, and that the league is really centered around making this something that, of course, we pay the players, but they can have a career on top of that. And I think that's something with professional athletes in general um, that you see in other sports when um, when it's solely focused on just their sport. Eventually, that you do have to retire and they don't have experience outside of playing. And I think it's amazing that our women get to uh, have experience outside of their hockey playing career, but also continue playing at a professional level and be paid for you know for their performance. Though I'd imagine that, you know, the hope of the league is to one day um, be big enough and popular enough and sustainable enough that players can make a, a living just playing hockey and that there will be enough excitement and fandom around the league. Um, is that is that a goal of the league or or what are the sort of, of course. immediate goals? Yeah, I think that, of course, I think that your goal is obviously always to um, provide the athletes with as much as possible. So to give them uh, the most for what they're good at. And, you know, these women are phenomenal hockey players. They're incredible athletes. So to be able to pay them just as much as the men would be uh, a dream come true for everyone. And it's obviously something that, you know, we strive for uh, our, our women to be able to only play ice hockey and not have to supplement their incomes with other jobs um, because it is what they deserve. And that's definitely something that we would strive for. 
Well, one of the major differences between the men's and women's games is uh, checking, which for listeners who may not Mm -hmm. know is that in the men's game, as long as it's not a direct hit to the head, the men can sort of crush each other into the walls and all this (laughs) stuff. And so um, what do you think are the main elements of the women's game that uh, are, are being marketed, if not, you know? gloves off this up (laughs) exactly um that's a great question I think that there is so much more physicality to our sport than people are even aware but the thing that really pulls our fans in is the finesse and the speed and the the precision of our game and there's so much skill they can make incredible plays they can do incredible things with the puck and uh and just pull together strings of plays that uh, will really wow the crowds. And I think that's something that we can definitely focus on promotionally. You know, anytime you see a highlight real goal, it, it's up on SportsCenter. And, you know, we've even had some of our women's goals up there already this season. Nice. <laughs> uh, so, so that's something that we can focus on. And uh, I think it shocks fans every time they see a women's game for the first time. That's one of the things that they always say to me is, I can't believe how skilled they are. And that word finesse that you use, I just think totally encapsulates the women's game. Absolutely. Uh, Okay, so as you are partway into the season and uh, looking ahead for the rest of the year, what do you think have been the biggest challenges so far? And what do you think have been the biggest successes? I would say from a management standpoint, uh, just being new, things are happening so quickly and, and good uh, reason. So there's been so much positivity that coming our way um, that it's been it's been full speed ahead all the time. That's obviously a huge uh, bonus, a huge excitement, but it's also something that um, has been uh, some something that we need to manage. Obviously, you know, you have you have media sources and uh, sponsorship opportunities, and then um, you're managing your players and. Uh, and your road trips and all of those different things. There's so many new, wonderful opportunities that we obviously hoped for, but didn't expect in year one. And so having all those things coming our way has been very challenging to manage and make make everything be the best product possible. Yeah. Um, but I think we're we're doing a great job with that. Our players are embracing everything that comes their way. But that that's been a challenge and also a huge perk since uh, these are things that we that we want coming our way. Yeah. Um, so from a management standpoint, f- for not only myself but for the players, I think that they didn't fully understand how big this was going to be uh, when they stepped into it and how um, excited the fans were going to be um, and, and media, like I say. So there there's a lot being thrown their way, but it's all it's all good stuff. Just to wrap up, I mean, I've just been wondering about the name Boston Pride. What is the story mm-hmm. behind that? It's a great question. And I think that for each uh, each team in the league, we were looking for something pretty unique. The, the Pride is obviously, uh, it's a fierce name for our players. They really love it. And uh, you can see the the lion scratch marks in our, um, <laughs> in our logo. So it adds a little bit of the aggressiveness of uh of the pride the the pack alliance Uh, and our team calls themselves the pack um (laughs) on a on an unofficial level 
Well, I think uh, that the pack has a future as a good term because, you know, Bostonians love to be part of like Red Sox Nation and all that sort of oh, stuff. Yeah. So give them, give them a pack to belong to and I'm sure that they'll line right up. <laughs> exactly. I sure hope so. <laughs> okay. Well, Haley, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we will definitely continue watching the NWHL and the Boston Pride. And uh, we wish you and the team all the best. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to Haley for joining the show. Now we go to the press box at the Boston Pride versus New York Riveters game on November 22nd. And listeners, this is live from the game, so you will be hearing all of the background noise that that includes. I am here pre-game with four great ladies who are covering the NWHL with me. We have Zoe Hayden from the Victory Press, Erin uh, Bartuska from Watch This Hockey, and Sarah Connors and Kat Hemming from Stanley Cup of Chowder. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. thanks. <laughs> All right, so let's do just a quick roundtable. Um, let's start with you, Zoe. How did you get into covering hockey? Well, I kind of discovered hockey freshman year of college, but I was an NHL fan. I was a Penguins fan. I still am a Penguins fan, but um, I realized kind of that the community around men's hockey wasn't something that was really for me in the sense that it's like a little bit combative to get involved in hockey media for men's hockey as a woman. And the first time I saw women's hockey, it blew my mind at how great it was. And it was a lot easier to get involved. So here I am. Here you are. Yeah. Okay, and Sarah, had you covered hockey before women's hockey, or what's your background? I did, actually. I've been I've been covering the Bruins for Stanley Cup of Chatters since about 2010, um, which was really great. We got to cover them for their whole Stanley Cup run, and that was a lot of fun. Um, I actually got into women's hockey last year. Zoe actually wrote for us for a while, um, which was really great. Um, I actually volunteer for the Boston Blades of the CWHL, so I run all their stats and everything, and I did that a little bit last year, too. So, yeah, that's how I got into it. So a real pro. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say that, but yeah, it's, it's been it's been a good couple years. <laughs> and Aaron, when you're reporting on a game, what are the things that you're looking for most? That's a great question. I am looking for exciting plays, players that I haven't seen play before on the ice, because we have a lot of new faces in the NWHL coming out of the NCAA. Um, and uh, I'm usually shooting video, so I'm usually looking for cool movements in the frame. <laughs> well, priorities, that's good. And Kat, from a kind of bird's eye view perspective, at the we're still pretty much at the beginning of this league. What do you think is the league's biggest challenge, and what's the league's biggest opportunity? Um, I think they have a really great opportunity here now, especially that we have TV coverage. Um, just the growth of women's hockey, this is a huge boost for them. Um, I hope that the other teams uh, get some TV coverage too, um, because that would be even more helpful. Um, I think the biggest challenge, I guess, um, might be... I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> no, that's good. I mean... Oh, that's, yeah, that's a good one. Getting some sponsorships, um, you know, and trying to, like, bring up the revenue and 
get those players some more money because um, this is the first league where they're getting paid and they should probably, you know, I mean, it's a big deal they're getting paid at all, but they should get paid more. Right. It's not quite a living wage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not quite yet. And a lot of them do other things in addition to playing hockey. So. Well, so to wrap up, we talk a lot on this podcast about what it's like to be a woman who's interested in sports and also a woman, a woman who is involved in covering sports. So what have your experiences been, either good or bad, being a woman who's a sports fan and a woman who's uh, doing this at least semi-professionally? <laughs> um, my experience reporting on women's hockey has been extremely good. Um, everyone in the, in the community is very accommodating to fans and reporters, and they're really just very interested in conversing with you like about the actual game. Um, I do think that sometimes there's like a little bit more of a lifestyle angle with women's sports. I really kind of like to just focus on you know the athlete and also kind of like the social ramifications totally. of that. Uh, we feel that on this podcast, yeah. <laughs> so I write about that a lot. Cool. Yeah. All right, Sarah, what about you? I will say that my experience, considering I have mostly covered men's hockey, for me personally, has been mostly positive. Um, the reception has been fine. Um, I will say, like, some of the minor leagues that I've covered, I covered the AHL for a long time as well, and um, one of the things I was never super comfortable with was actually going into the locker room, because it's gross. You know, I don't want to go in there, I don't really want to see some of that stuff, like, whatever. Um, they were very accommodating with going in and getting the specific players I needed to talk to, and getting them to come out into the hallway and talk to me and whatnot, so I think... It's not perfect. It's definitely a long way from perfect, but I think being a woman covering hockey in the NHL and the AHL is is okay. It's it's good, you know. They they yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, different locker room situation here where you don't have to worry about Yeah, here yeah. It's, I mean, in the NHL it's open locker room as well, but I think here open locker room policy goes here as well. The CWHL does not do that. So, yeah, yeah. It's the first women's league to do it. So, All right, and Kat, any any final words on being a woman in sports? Um, this is my first time covering a team, so this is a, just a really exciting experience for me, so I don't really have any horror stories as of yet. I guess being a fan is sometimes more difficult than being a journalist, because um, when you're a journalist, you have that level of respect, and sometimes you really have to prove yourself when you're a fan. But I just want everyone to keep staying strong. Awesome. Well, thanks to all of you for joining in. Yeah, thanks for having us. You could tell how much they love this league and their dedication to serious coverage. Next up, Kate Samini on what she's given up and gained by covering the NWHL. All right, I am here pre-game with Kate Samini from today's Slapshot and podcast love. Is this live? Can I no, curse? No, no, no. Oh, oh, of course you can curse. <laughs> we have an explicit rating on iTunes. Oh, we don't. <laughs> so Kate is from today's Slapshot, and also we're sending podcast love back out to Don't Snow the Goalie. Woo-hoo. So Kate, as someone who's been covering hockey for a little bit, you said 2012 earlier. What yeah. does it mean to you to be covering women's hockey as a woman in the U.S. as an American. <laughs> I'm willing to take a lower salary to do it. 
<laughs> wow, that's actually really interesting. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I I will fight for a higher salary, but I I deliberately decided that I was going to cover women's hockey, and for a long time I was doing it with. Um, I was doing it with very little money coming back to me. Luckily, I'm I'm fortunate now. Today's Slapshot pays me a decent amount, which is great. Uh, I really like them, but it. I realized back in April that I could have an impact on how the women's game was um, was viewed, was being reported on, because I was very tired of the special interest stories. Yeah. Uh, you know, you'd get one every few months, and it would be, oh, you need to see the women's hockey. It's amazing. They, you know, who cares about checking, blah, blah, blah. And then there was no follow-up coverage. Totally. So there was no real point to it, because why would you follow something if there's nobody talking about it? Yeah. So, um, so I realized that I could actually... If I started talking about it and treating it like a sports game, then we could see some very interesting things happen. And you know what? We have. We've seen a lot of really cool people, like you know Zoe over here, jumping on and and deciding to cover women's hockey as a sport. I mean, you were doing it before I was, but you kind of upped your coverage with this Victory Press thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the goal of the Victory Press has been really to cover women's sports exclusively and not have it as like an accompaniment to men's sports. Yeah. That's been a huge part of what I'm doing um, and I was doing it for Stanley Cup of Chowder and I realized that like doing game day stuff for women's hockey is just as if not way more interesting than game day stuff for men's yeah. hockey so that's why I wanted to do it <laughs> well Kate I was listening to your podcast a little bit earlier and uh, you had I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> you had I'm gonna botch your last name but Jen from Puck Daddy yeah Jen Neal yeah and so I thought her comment was really interesting when she said I really made the case to make Puck, Puck Daddy do cover the NWHL, mm-hmm. and that she's not only working as a social worker, but she's also covering the NHL for Puck Daddy, but she really made it a point to do the NWHL, and that, mm-hmm. you know, so far from everybody I've spoken to, this really seems like women building a women's league. I would agree with you. Uh, if, if Jen had been in the room with me when she said that, I would have given her a huge hug. <laughs> it was really, it was, it was great to hear, because... Um, to be honest, this is not something I've talked about a whole lot. I literally just kind of put my head down and started churning out articles. Woo! Here we go. All right. Well, our audio is going to go to shit now, so we're going <laughs> to sign off. <laughs> but thanks for joining, Kate. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> appreciate how candidly Kate spoke about covering the league. It's a really good reminder that its success lies not only with the players, but also all of the coaches, staff, and reporters who bring it to the fans every week. After the game, I was able to talk to some players about their experiences. The Riveters ended up winning 3-2, and first up, I speak to three of the victors of that match, Brooke Ammerman, Madison Packer, and Megan Fardelman. And once again, we are outside of a locker room, so it will be a little bit echoey. So my podcast goes up every two weeks, so this game will be a little outdated by the time it goes up. Um, But so a broader question in terms of growing the audience and looking for um, new fans, besides putting on a great game every week, what are you guys doing as individuals off the ice to engage with new fans and audience members? 
Uh, I think a, a lot of us coach. We're very hands-on with kids in the area. Um, my little guys came last weekend, and the parents and kids were blown away, and they can't wait to come back, and they travel over an hour. Um, I know a lot of the girls who can you know, have time between everything else going on in our lives, getting out there, getting to the community. We have to work a little bit harder than the boys, but it doesn't mean the product's you know, not the same. I mean, these games have been fantastic. Um, so I just, that's the biggest thing, you know, getting people to keep coming out in the winter months and just have this as an opportunity for girls in the future to be able to come and play and at a high level and enjoy it and get paid to do it. For some of the other fans we've been doing, some of the specialty games, you know, with the military appreciation, uh, say my dad felt honored that he got to drop the puck last week, but after the game we're getting autographs from guys in uniform, so... I mean, that's a different crowd than what we're used to. Um, and then a lot of the players coach. Uh, a couple of us have been guest coaching, too, so I'm just going to different rinks, different crowds, you know, other than the same teams. And have then, you been uh, asked to do that? I went out to uh, the New Jersey Colonials uh, last week. So we stayed on the ice for, like, three back-to-back sessions, so we got to stay with, like, five or six teams. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. And then, I mean, in the coming weeks, we've got a couple of community service things that we're working on, too, so... And now over to Casey Bellamy, Brianna Decker, and Brittany Ott of the Boston Pride. And you will hear a couple other reporters in there, but the answers to their questions were just too good not to include. So it's obviously a really exciting time to be a women's hockey fan. Um, Do you guys feel like as an individual, as a team, as a league, that you have kind of a chip on your shoulder trying to prove that this league should keep on going, build fans, grow an audience? Absolutely, that's the goal, and that's what we signed up for. Um, Having a league in the United States, it's an incredible step for women's hockey. Um, Obviously, we hate losing, but them beating us twice, it's good for the league. I'm not going to lie, it's good um, competition, but like I said, we don't want to lose. So we want to win, and we want to come out champions at the end. You all had a really strong turnout today. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I I loved the support from the Boston area, and I know I saw some other uh, fans around that weren't even from the greater Boston area, so it's great to have the support in the New England area. And, um, you know, we hope that the loss didn't affect the turnout for the next game that we have, but we appreciate the fans, and um, it's great to see all the support we have. What's the most challenging part of playing in this league so far? I think it's really physical game. Um, I think, like, I think this team that we just faced today, they're probably one of the more physical teams that we have faced. Obviously, we are missing playing the whale yet, but um, I'm impressed with the physical play and also being familiar with other players. And, you know, you'd think that's easier to, you know, you know their tendencies and whatnot, but there's skilled players in the league. And it's, it's, that's what makes it fun, though, is how challenging it can be. Um, to go off that, I think having only two practices a week is, is tough. Yeah, um, sure. You know, we had only two... 50-minute practices this week, and it was really tough just because the ice schedule. And I think if we can get one more team practice, it'll really help us and benefit us um, for each game. Agreed. Maybe that's a captain's practice. (laughs) We we try and go out for skills once a week just to add another element, but um, for a full team and work on special teams and everything like that, it would be huge. Yeah. All right, that does it for this week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at NYBF Sports. On Facebook, we are Not Your Boyfriend Sports Show, or you can always email us at nybfsports at gmail.com. 
Good game to Haley, Zoe, Sarah, Erin, Kat, Kate, Brooke, Madison, Megan, Casey, Brianna, Brittany, the Boston Pride, the New York Riveters, and all the fierce ladies of the NWHL. 